Leprosy uh, was huge. Uh, people that had experienced uh, encounters in the bush, the one guy that's lying there, you don't see the rest of his leg in the picture, but that's partially because it, it, all, all there is is bone. And this guy, malnourished here, was right on death's door, but these are the kinds of things that grandma and grandpa saw. And even though they had not been formally trained in medicine, they felt like they needed to do something about it. And they wound up starting five medical clinics and a small hospital, and through the process of all of that, all the demonstrations of the love of Christ, people began to come to faith in the Lord. And it wasn't very long before uh, there were 6,000 followers of Jesus Christ in the church. And God began to do amazing things in that part of Nigeria, along the Cameroonian border. And over the course of time, uh, God raised up a mature church. In fact, the leader of the evangelical churches of West Africa, which they stopped counting after 10 million people, he was a Tangali man, and he grew up in this tribe, and he, he, he spoke to me a couple years ago about what it was like uh, when he said goodbye to, to my grandparents. But grandma and grandpa, you know, they stayed with a particular mission agency for their entire careers. Forty years they were in Africa. They stayed with the same agency. And then my parents, mom and dad, they felt called of God, and it just seemed natural to them, well, let's just go with the same agency. So they wound up serving God for 40 years in Africa as well, doing different things. Now, my mom was a nurse, so she was a medical practitioner. And she saw things that were really difficult to wrap her head around. Some of you might remember hearing about the Lassa fever virus. At the time when Lassa fever hit, there was a 100% mortality rate. Everybody died of Lassa fever that got it. And I'll never forget, I was there in Nigeria at the time as a young kid, and my doctor, uh, she was doing an autopsy, and she nicked her finger accidentally. And she called up my dad right away and said, I'm going to die. I know, I'm going to get lots of fever. I'm going to die. And sure enough, three days later, uh, she passed away. And I can remember walking alongside of her casket as we buried her in the graveyard at the school that I attended. And the gravity and the weight that I felt in my life. At that point, just realizing, wow, uh, this person had devoted her life to service of God. And those mental, you know, gyrations that go through your mind, like, God, how could you have allowed this to happen? She was such a wonderful woman. My parents, one of my parents' best friends. And now i got my mom, who's a nurse here. How do I know she's not going to get this? Um, and so those, that, that whole thing began to kind of introduce me to this idea of medicine and the gospel and how those two intertwine together. Um, anyway, my wife and I had the opportunity to serve in the Sudan as missionaries. Uh, now, we were in the capital city of, of Khartoum, um, and our ministry focus was very different. But one of the things that we struggled with was, okay, what mission agency do we go with? Well, grandma and grandpa served with this mission agency. Mom and dad served with this mission agency. I guess we will too. And that's how we landed with the mission agency we went with. But i got to tell you, I don't think that's a good idea. And even though our experience was good... I don't think it's a good idea to choose a mission agency just because you know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. I broke the pattern. So that, that's you, you did break the pattern. <laughs> and that is a rejection of the uh, – and it's, it's been a bone of contention ever since because J.J. is now, let's see, great-grandparent, grandparent, parent, son. Yeah, exactly. And now fourth generation, the black sheep, entered the picture. Exactly. So very true. all of this to say, um, one of the things we discovered is that every mission agency is very unique. Yeah. They're all different. So what happens if you get in the wrong mission agency? I mean, I've worked in missions mobilization for 16 years at this point, And in that time, I've seen hundreds of families raise support, get appointed with an agency, raise support, go and serve. I've actually seen a bunch of families come off the field. Um, I've been in this long enough to see when it doesn't work out. And it's, it's sad. And sometimes uh, it doesn't work out because they're just expectations are different. And people think they're expectation X and they wind up with Y mm -hmm. and it's like oh wait and so then you have people shuffling around from one agency to another yep you got silos yep you got people frustrated mm -hmm. you got mm -hmm. people literally walking away just saying I'm done with it I don't believe in it yep absolutely and that's what we want to avoid mm -hmm. so it is important that all of you understand we're going to dump a lot of info on you you're going to walk out of here saying I don't know if I should have come to this thing I'm overwhelmed <laughs> too much information apologize but we want you to have this because it's important, yeah. all right? Every mission agency is unique. There's all kinds of agencies out there, literally hundreds of them. There's over 306,000 missionaries in the world today. Of course, what is it, 100 and something from the U.S.? But all kinds of agencies you can go with. 
And you've got to kind of sift through all this stuff to figure out what does God have for us. So here's some of the ways mission agencies are unique. Number one, their theologies and denominational affiliations. Yeah, that's right. So most organizations uh, kind of have, have some history. And what I've realized in talking with hundreds of candidates over the years is that the candidate doesn't seem to ask a lot of historical questions. And I kind of wish you would because... Because in that history of an organization, that's when you begin to figure out what is the theological framework. So we all know that a lot of denominational missions have actually changed their names, right? In more recent years, they've gotten an updated names, but their, their, their philosophical and theological framework hasn't changed, right? So you might be charismatic leaning, walking into an organization that is very, very, very conservative. You don't even know that until you are deep in the process. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to ask some questions and at the questions theological like, level and, and right away. don't even show up on a faith statement. Totally. Like most faith statements don't talk about women in leadership. Yep. And yet that is a bone of contention Absolutely. in a lot of mission Huge. agencies. Huge. Yep. That sign just baptism, how you're baptized. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gosh, I was pastoring a church one time, and it was a triple-dunk church. You had to go into the water three times, Father, <laughs> Son, and Holy Spirit. Literally, for real. I only went under once. I didn't know that was a problem. And it was a big problem. Apparently, yeah. Okay, Watch so theological denominational <laughs> affiliation, you got to figure that out. Two. <laughs> Sorry, say that, say that again? <laughs> heckling. It's good. Yes, I like it. The heckling yes. has already started. It's great. It's perfect. Okay, missional objectives and priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, what, do we, what, do, what do we mean by that? So I think uh, the goal with missional objectives and priorities is really to understand the strategy of where an organization is trying to head. All right. So maybe, maybe this looks like um, you know a, a focus on the unreached. Uh, we both have served in organizations in the past where they started with one strategy, and then over the years that strategy morphed and changed. And now what happens is there are missionaries that are on the ground and all of a sudden the focus is totally on unreached. Well, we work in a reached area. Do we no longer fit? And, and so having an understanding, having that conversation right out of the gate with a sending agency, what are your strategic priorities? What are your objectives? What are you hoping to accomplish? And then, same thing, think about that for the agency, but think about that for yourself. And almost create your own personal you know, mission, vision. What are you hoping God accomplishes through you when it comes to, to mission? Keep that in, in the yeah. back of your brain in every conversation you have with an agency. Yeah, like missional objectives, I think a large part of it is, is like the unreached thing. That's, mm-hmm. that's huge. Mm-hmm. I think some mission agencies, their objective is church planning. That is their primary thing. And then you've got to ask yourself, okay, I'm a medical practitioner. How does that fit into church planning? So th- those are just the kinds of questions you just gotta you gotta sift through to make sure you're on the same page with. Totally. Number three, every mission agency has its own unique geographies and locations for placement. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I find really interesting is most of the time the candidate conversation starts here. Yeah. And I would strongly encourage you not to start here. <laughs> so here's here's what I mean by that. I'll be standing at a, a booth or or you know get connected at a church. And a candidate will come up to me and say, do you do X in location Y? They want a very clear answer. And yeah, then like if I give... Timbuktu or Zanzibar. Right, right, right. We so if I one. say, yes, you can be a nurse with my organization in Timbuktu, it's like, praise the Lord, I'm going to sign up. But they haven't asked me any of these other super important questions that ultimately dictate fit, right? Chances are that someday the door to Timbuktu might be closed. Your calling hasn't changed, right? So, so hold on to location kind of loosely would be my encouragement. Uh, yeah. The calling of God can morph and shift around quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, number four, every mission agency has its own unique needs and opportunities. What do we mean by that? Well, um, I used to be the president of an agency, a mission agency. We had about 125 people. We had ministry potentially in 100 different countries. But in reality, there were basically four places where we could put people. <laughs> yeah, that was um, and I think the hard, part, the hard part for us is that we found ourselves so many times having to say, sorry, we don't have a need there. Sorry, there's no opportunities there. Sorry, we can't get you there. Um, and, and honestly, we kind of got tired of saying sorry. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to say yes. 
Um, and that gave birth to compel because we wanted to, if somebody legitimately feels a calling from God, we don't want to say no. We want to help you get where God wants you to be. And so that just that opened up the door for just all kinds of things. But every agency's got their own unique things. Mm-hmm. Okay, every mission agency has its own unique philosophies and approaches to ministry. How about definition of team? You've seen that? Huge, yeah. So uh, let's, let's kind of focus on that for a minute. When I talk to candidates and I ask them about what are you looking for in a team, um, it's helpful to talk about uh, two different analogies, a track team and a basketball team. Okay, So if you've heard this, uh, just go along with me. If you haven't, uh, this one's free. All right. So a track team, everyone has their own unique event that they're doing, right? but you still come together for team camaraderie and fellowship and everything else. Okay, So maybe one person is in medical, one person's in theological education, one person is a, you know, a, a starting businesses, but all of you come together for fellowship. Compare that with a basketball team where everyone's playing the exact same game. You're in the weeds with each other every single week, doing life, life on life, every single week. What's amazing is that candidates have a picture in their heads of one type of team, and an agency might say, yes, we really value team, but they're thinking something totally different. That conversation alone can absolutely derail your journey as a missionary, and you get on the field and you realize, whoa, reality is nothing like what I thought it was going to be. Another thing about philosophy is some, some mission agencies are what we would call field-driven, mm-hmm. and uh, others are driven by the partner. What does the partner want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, still others are, t- are top-down, so top vision down. comes from Colorado Springs or wherever yeah. the headquarters is. Yeah. So you've got all these different philosophies and approaches to ministry. Now, again, it's going to sound like really overwhelming, like how on <laughs> earth do I ever find an agency with all this stuff I've got to think through? Um, and we're just afraid we're going to bury you with that, um, but for now, just go with us. All right, every, unique, every mission agency has its own unique decision-making structures. So, for example, um, what do we mean by that? Like, here's an example. Um, a decision, they want to push decisions down to the lowest level. So, therefore, rather than a decision being made in Orlando or Colorado Springs, it is being made in uh, Ouagadougou. Okay. And so the Wagadugu team is deciding what it is they're going to do. That is an actual um, place, by it, the way. It, it <laughs> In is case actual. you thought we were making that name up. Yeah. Sorry about that. It's Burkina Faso. <laughs> um, and so that's one model of, that's one way that some agencies are structured. A lot of them are field driven. Mm-hmm. So the decision is made by the people right there as to what they're going to do. All right? Then you have others that it's the local church. Uh, maybe the mission agency started a, a denomination, if you will. And that denomination now sets the priorities on what it is they're going to do as a denomination. And so you got to think through, because here's what happens. Let's say you, let's say you, you get a call, you're going to go be a doctor in, uh, I don't know. Wagadougou. Let's Wagadougou. go with that. You're going to be a doctor like in By the yeah. way, you can't be a doctor in Wagadougou. But anyway, <laughs> we're going to be a doctor in Wagadougou. Um, and then the mission agency, let's just say that the, uh, the, the field decided that the focus – Let's, let's, use, let's use a better illustration. Okay. Let's use this illustration. You are a doctor in Johannesburg. Okay. And that's where you felt called to serve. And the, the, the leadership decided we are no longer going to be focused on medical work. We are going to be focused on uh, Bible translation uh, in this particular tribe up here. Now, what, what does that mean for your ministry? Mm. Suddenly you feel orphaned. All right. So you do need to kind of think through some of those kind of things. Who makes the decision and how are they made? Yeah. I think coupled with that, that decision-making structure piece, um, let's just be frank. It's really frustrating as an American when we're used to things happening pretty fast and there's right. immediacy. When I begin com- you know, conversing with an agency about, you know, is there a fit in location X, it might take a long time. For them to get back with me and say, yeah, your skill sets can be used in location X. That's because vision may be boiling up from, from the bottom there on the ground. So they want to run that by the local indigenous church, right, and, and have vision boil up from there. And I, I think those types of things can ultimately derail a candidate's journey because yeah. they say, oh, I guess God must not be in it because it's taking a long time. Yeah. You just got to go into it with your eyes open. Yeah. 
All right, every agency has its own unique levels of service and support assessments. What do we mean by that? Well, there's a lot of things that happen when you go out to be a missionary. The mission agency may take care of all your receiving, mm-hmm. all the donor dollars that are sent to support you. Somebody's got to receive all that stuff. Uh, they're they're going to take care of that. They're going to provide member care, hopefully, uh, making sure that your, your needs are being met so you can stay on the field. They're going to provide uh, counseling in terms of support raising strategies. They're going to provide church connections. I mean, there's all these different levels of service that an agency can bring. And every agency kind of has, here's our portfolio of things we offer. The problem is those things cost money. And so what typically happens is when you raise your support, a percentage of what you raise goes to the overhead of the organization. And that percentage is generally between 12 and 16%. Now, where I've seen mistakes, I feel like I'm talking about a lot of the negative stuff. Let me handle one of the positive ones. But, all right, so negatively, I've seen a lot of candidates that want to go cheap, right? So, you know, there's, they, they have missionary heroes who have just gone and lived off of very, you know, very minimal amounts of, of things. They're highly offended at a, at a support package, you know, budget that an agency gives. My caution is to view this as an investment. We want you to be thriving on the field 10 years down the road. That takes money, takes time. Okay, so so think about that. Those services are there for your benefit. Every agency that we partner with, we know what all of their different assessment levels are, what their services are that they provide. Um, frankly, if someone doesn't have an assessment, we don't trust them. That's not safe. That's not good for you, right? Although I we did find you. one. I did find one I trust, but that's okay. Did you? I, I did, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> okay. Uh, but the reality is that they have to raise a boatload of money mm-hmm. because they provide a lot of services, but they got to go out and raise the money for it. Mm-hmm. And the question is, how long can they do that? That's true. Um, because people give churches and churches and people give to people, individuals, not organizations, as a general rule. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's a question you, you got to ask. Yep. Every mission agency has their own unique work and family expectations. What do we mean by that? Well, uh, one agency that uh, has been close to me for a long time. Um, they kind of had an expectation that if the husband and wife are going out as missionaries, the wife needs to have a viable ministry of her own. And so they wanted the wife to work. Well, I've definitely had agencies that have the opposite, yeah, exactly. where the wife's expectation or the spouse's expectation was in the home 100%. Yeah, you'll of the time. take care of the kids. Yeah. And just, it's just important that you have an understanding before you get in over your head and suddenly realize, well, wait a minute, I'm being told I have to work? Wait, I've got kids <laughs> yeah. to take care of. I want to homeschool my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just got to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they all have different policies about support, debt, language acquisition, etc. So in language acquisition, some agencies require you to learn the language before you do anything. In fact, you can't even do any ministry until you spend a year learning the language. Some mm-hmm. agencies have that. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've seen one-year expectation of full-time language study. I've seen two years. I've also seen a, a bench of you have to be able to worship in the native tongue of whatever, whatever group that you're going to serve in. Um, and they all have really good reasons for those, oh, yeah, the, those policies, but there's variance within that. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in the, the organization I'm with, mm-hmm. um, we don't require you to, to speak Amharic when you go to Ethiopia. Because in our hospital, all the teaching is done in English. Yeah. And it's a training hospital, so you don't have to learn another language. Mm-hmm. But those are things you got to think about. And then debt. Uh, every agency's got a different policy on debt. Yep. Some say you can't go with any debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then thank God for groups like MedSend that help cover some of your, your paying off your student loans while you're, while you're serving. Uh, but that is a policy for some agencies. And, er- again, every one of them are different. I think most of you guys are familiar with MedSend. You may not be familiar with another one that's called the GoFund. Uh, pay attention to that as well. They do scholarships. That's not medically exclusive. Uh, it's for all different types of missionaries. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And they have different policies on support, too. Some agencies say you've got to have 100% support before you go. Others compromise. Some are more of a cafeteria plan, like, you know, you kind of set your own support levels versus others where it is set by the field. Mm-hmm. This is what it costs to live here. Um, so you just got to know you've got you to be on the same page. That's the issue. And then they all have unique pre-field preparation and onboarding requirements. Yeah. Yeah. So different uh, expectations of timeline. So, you know, maybe they're going to require you to do some sort of pre-field training. They might even partner with a group like Equip, 
or Launch Global or some of the other MTI, MTI uh, some of those other outsourced training models um, for pre-field training. But what I will say is I'll, I'll give a little bit of a roadmap for timeline towards the field. Okay, so if you're looking at going and serving long-term, I think it's helpful to realize from the first conversation you have about uh, mission agencies, it's going to be at least several months before you are into an application process with an agency. That's just pretty standard. At that point, that may take one to three months, okay, So before you're accepted. So total, now you're somewhere between four and six months. Once you're accepted, you're probably talking 12 to 16 months of support raising. So really, this is a multi-year process before you deploy for the field. If that hasn't met with your expectations, I'm, I'm sorry. We have seen it done yeah, faster, we have, yeah, we have. but that is rare. That is, it's rare, but it also does happen. So, yeah. And we just want to be careful that we're just real with you guys so yeah. that you have realistic expectations. It takes time, mm-hmm. and going through that whole process takes time. I know with, with uh, St. Luke's Healthcare, when we send people to Ethiopia on our medical team, and right now I think we've got, what, 12 expats um, and about – 30 Ethiopian doctors and about 425 Ethiopian staff. But when we send expats, we do want them to have a month at Mission Training International in Colorado Springs. Mm -hmm. And that is a tremendous, it's just tremendous pre-field prep. Really helps you understand, you know, how am I going to adjust to different environment, different Mm -hmm. culture, team, concepts of team, all those sorts of things. All that stuff. Now, this is what, on this side of the page, this is what anybody going into foreign missions needs to think about when they are considering ascending agency, okay? Now, we are very much aware that medical missionaries or healthcare ministry workers, it's a different animal. And, um, and so they're – You not, guys are I mean, all – Yeah, I mean, I, I mean not in a good a sense. Breed. Bottom line is you are a different breed. Yeah. Um, medical missionaries are a different breed. For starters, they have more training than anybody else. And usually that means more debt. Mm-hmm. They work longer hours than most of their missionary teammates. Believe me, I know. I, our team blows me away when I go over to Soto because, honestly, they are, these guys are they're animals. I mean, they're crazy how devoted they are. I love it. It's impressive. Yeah. Um, but you're going to wind up working longer hours than most of your other missionaries. And sometimes you're going to feel like, wait a minute, what's wrong with you guys? Yeah. All right? um, and they're on call all the time. Now, fortunately, when a hospital is big enough where you can be on call two nights a week rather than every night, uh, but that, that's reality. You're also required to make difficult life and death decisions, and that, that's a toughie. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm just thinking about a situation that happened this past month. An 11-year-old kid in Ethiopia was out herding his cows, his family cattle. A neighboring tribe came in, stole all the cows, and shot the kid in the back of the head. His brother picks up this kid. He's still living. Brother's trying to figure out how do I get how do I get my brother t- to a hospital. He starts walking. He walks for three days. Uh, he can't find any hospital that's got a surgeon handy or blood, you know, or anything to treat this kid. And finally, he winds up in Soto. And by the time he gets to Soto, he's comatose. There's virtually no chance of. There's just no chance. And our doctor had to tell the brother. Look, you know, there's nothing we can do. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's too late. And the brother just pled with our doctor saying, please do whatever you can do, do whatever you can do. And normally the doctor would, you know, would have to say, look, you know what, this is, we, we can't do this. But for some reason our doctor was listening to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, they prayed, took this kid into surgery, and remarkably, miraculously, they were able to remove the bullet and the guy is now restored. 11-year-old kid. Amen. And it was a miracle of God. And even our doctors are saying, we don't know how this happened. It's clearly a God thing. Wow. But to make those decisions, you know, I mean, if the brother had gone ahead with what the doctor recommended, the kid would have died and it would have been the end of the story. Yeah. Um, and just thankful that the Lord spoke to that doctor. And the reality is you're going to have to make those kind of decisions because they're going to happen all the time. A bus crash comes, you know, nearby and all of a sudden all these people are dragged into the hospital and, and you're going to have to figure out who to treat and who not to treat. I mean, it's a, they're tough calls. Yeah. Um, and then you're going to deal with the unreliability of essential services. How about blood? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go to Ethiopia, you know, you got to get your blood from the blood bank in Addis Ababa. That's an eight-hour drive from the hospital in Soto. What happens when a bus crashes and all of a sudden you've got all these victims coming in and you've got to treat them and you don't have blood? 
um, that's a that's a toughie, and we've had to deal with that. And uh, in fact, I was just in Ethiopia last month, and in the middle of the night, one of our guys had to take an ambulance and drive to another neighboring city just to get one pint of blood to do a life-saving surgery. Um, and then, then how about electricity going out in the middle of the night? You're in the middle of an operation, the power goes out. You know, um, th- those those are those are real real deals. And because you're a missionary, it's going to be a bigger deal to you when the power goes out than it is to your fellow missionaries who can just light a candle. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also going to be more susceptible to moral injury. You're going to have to make decisions sometimes that you're going to have to live with, and you might have regrets. And um, I'll give you an example of, an, of, I suppose, an example of this. How about a young girl comes to you. She's from a Muslim home. She's 14 years old. Somebody has abused her. She's pregnant. Their family's going to kill her because she's now pregnant. And it's an honor killing. And she comes to you saying, save my life. What are you going to do? Mm. You can't get her to a safe house. You can't, you can't ship her out of town. What are you going to do? Those are the kinds of dilemmas you find yourself facing. And sometimes you find yourself doing things that you, you think, well, I think it was the best judgment I had at the time, but I, I hope I was right. Uh, that's moral injury. And uh, you will experience that on the field. Um, your other fellow missionaries, they're, they're not going to make, they're not going to make those same decisions that you are. So you are a different breed of missionary. And because of that, you kind of got to think through the agency and how that relates to the agency that you're going to be sent with. So these are the questions you need to ask as medical professionals. I'm sorry, we're over you guys. You guys with us? Are you still with us? You got it? Yeah, okay. Uh, this is it's just so important. I, I, we want you to get this because it's important, but we don't want to overwhelm you. Okay, does your agency have a champion that understands and appreciates the unique challenges of medical ministry? Yeah. I think this is particularly important when you're talking about a big generalist organization that does all sorts of different things. You know, theological training, you know, medical is just a tiny little portion. Uh, making sure that there's someone who gets your world in, inside the agency. Do they have a leader? I know one of our organizations that's within our flock is ABWE. They actually have a team devoted to caring for uh, the, the healthcare workers that are within their, their agency. Mm-hmm. Super, super valuable. Yeah, a lot of, quite a number of agencies, uh, at least the bigger ones, are going with that, mm-hmm. which is a good thing to have. Yeah. You just got to know there's somebody in the administration and the higher up that gets your world. Mm-hmm. Number two, does your agency and its national partner have a long-term vision for medical ministry? Here's why that's so important. Let's say that your national partner, uh, the church has grown. Now you've got hundreds of thousands of believers. And the national church feels like, you know what, we, well, that's not going to be our priority anymore. We're going to do... We're going to do Muslim evangelism. That's our priority. Well, what does that mean for your ministry? Um, and so when you're, when you're looking to align yourself with a sending agency, it's good to have a picture of, you know, are they going to be doing this five years, ten years, twenty years from now? Or am I going to be set adrift or feeling like I'm orphaned? Um, so just, that's just a good question to ask, just so you're on the same page. Because, again, you don't have to stay there. You can move to another location that needs a hospital, you know. But you, you need to know what you're getting into. Which, by the way, there are some agencies where even that assumption you just made of shifting and going to a different field, where that's not a guarantee. Yes, that's So true. we've gotten to know what, at least one organization in the last several years that appoints you for a particular place in a particular ministry, which is a little scary to me because, again, if God closes that door, you want to be able to shift and, and go to another field. So kind of asking, what, is it, what does it look like um, to join your organization, can I shift fields? Can I shift ministries as as God leads over the course of my career with you? Yeah, that's good. Pretty important. That's good. All right. To what extent is your agency committed to investing in and maintaining medical infrastructure? By the way, I might just tell you guys that there's all kinds of buildings that were built by missionaries and millions and millions of dollars that were donated by churches in America to build these glorious buildings, and those buildings are falling into decay. And I've seen it all over the world. Um, and so when it comes to, to medical ministries, you want to know, is this thing going to be, is, are we in this for the long haul? And are you willing to invest in it, maintain it? So right now, 
Uh, in Soto, we just finished adding eight operating rooms, a 20-bed surgical unit, a 12-apartment complex, a nine-apartment complex on the way, and now we're building an eight-story uh, women's and children's medical center. And we are committed to investing heavily, and we're there for the long haul. And we're, we're there to make sure that the infrastructure is, is well-maintained. But you do need to ask those kind of questions uh, because you could find yourself in a situation where that's not the case, in which case you've got to readjust your expectations. Now, one of our partner ministries, they actually have a team that's devoted to fundraising for their hospital. So outside of just what the, the individual missionaries are doing, there's a team that's fundraising towards the infrastructure. Yes. So not only are they planning and dreaming, but they're also you know, personally putting skin in the game on raising funds for that. Yeah, and so an example of that, Tenwick, of course, yep. in, in Kenya, one. they have friends of Tenwick. Now, mm-hmm. Soto Hospital in Ethiopia has St. Luke's Healthcare Foundation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these ministries, they've got, um, you know, they're over there, but they've got a, a U.S. entity that is actually raising funds. Mm-hmm. And there's an accountability there for maintaining that those, you know, ensuring those funds are properly spent. Okay, number four, uh, does your agency's pre-field prep include or accommodate training specific to medical missions. We had a hard time with this one. Yeah, we, we really did. Uh, because there's there's not a lot of pre-field training necessarily out there for, you know, for medical missions. Uh, but even things like, like this event, the GMHC, uh, making sure that your agency sees something like this as a priority. So over the course of the next three to five years as you're preparing to go, be here every year. Be, you know, diving into community with other practitioners who are in your same space and making sure that that's a priority for your agency. Yeah. And there's some good stuff downstairs in the mm-hmm. exhibit booth. You're going to find some organizations. All they do is pre-field prep. But you've got to know, is the agency that I want to go with, are they committed to that? Mm-hmm. Um, do they include it? Do they require it? Do they accommodate it? You know, to what extent are they, are they investing in me as, as a medical missionary? Mm-hmm. Number five, how does your agency view healthcare as a valid ministry in itself or as a platform for something else? I want to be careful on this one because we are not in any way, shape, or form casting a judgment um, with this question because we have excellent agencies that are on both sides of this, yes. this coin and excellent missionaries who, have, who are on both sides of this, this coin. The goal here is alignment. Are you matching with a ministry that is aligned with your personal values on medicine as an end in itself versus, you know, as a, as a platform for discipleship? Or yeah, or, or church planning or yeah. whatever the case might be. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's just, just important to know that so yeah. your expectations are real. Absolutely. So like in Soto, we're unabashed. Our priority is disciple making, mm-hmm. and yet we are going to provide – exceptional health care, but totally. we have this conversation all the time. What happens if somebody comes and they don't have any opportunity to hear the gospel? Are we still going to treat them? Of course we are. Mm-hmm. But if we, those are the things you just got to gotta think through. And then you got some great ministries that we know of, like in the Middle East, where it's not a platform for evangelism because they can't evangelize. Mm-hmm. It's just it's doing good in the name of Jesus Amen. with the hope that somebody asks a question why. Um, but you just got to be on the same page, that's all. Yeah. Okay, number six, does your agency require or facilitate access to spiritual and clinical mentorship? Absolutely. I would say for the spiritual side, more organizations are, are tied in at that level. So you might have your, your local country team leader, you might have a regional director. That person is likely to be kind of a spiritual mentor for you. Um, but you may be a little bit more in your own camp on the clinical mentorship side and, and really being able to prioritize that personally. Find, find those mentors. Yeah, and there, there's some really cool things, though. I mean, like um, CMDA mm-hmm. uh, has a mentorship program, and um, uh, there are groups like African Missions Healthcare is now doing this mm-hmm. where they'll bring in medical professionals from around the world. You'll sit in a Zoom meeting with these guys from, I don't know, a dozen different countries, yeah. but working on your clinical skills um, and talking through those things. Bottom line is you want to know that's a part of the package. And um, it's great if the agency actually requires it. I love it when that happens because that, that shows they're serious about investing in you. But at least you want them to help facilitate it. Seven, to what extent does your agency emphasize the practice versus the teaching of medicine? Yeah. I think this one is, 
it, it plays at two levels. One is asking the agency how they align with that. The other is asking yourself. Because yeah. um, I worked with some candidates in the last couple of years who had a very clear picture of what they wanted to do. They wanted to practice. They wanted to practice. They didn't want they, – they weren't passionate about training and replication. Um, I think that's a challenge at, at two levels. One is it's, it can be kind of hard to get a license in, a, in another country if you're going to be a direct practitioner um, and you want to just limit your, your role to that. But then number two, I, I would challenge you to look at Scripture. Scripture is filled with replication over and over and over again. That's what this whole thing is about in our discipleship. And I would say let that carry over into your work in, in medicine. Find those that you can train up. Uh, we want to empower indigenous leaders and indigenous practitioners. So, so if your thinking's not there yet, I would, I would invite you to do some work with the Lord on your, on your heart to get to a place of God. Would you give me a burden for replication? Now, you have a stronger opinion about that than I do. I do. Um, I mean, I think at Soto we've got doctors that are clearly in the teaching camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have others that, look, I don't want to teach squat. <laughs> yeah. I just want to go treat. Totally. And, uh, and we, fortunately, in Soto, there's a capacity or ability to do both. But I, I would agree with you that in the long term, mm-hmm. you want to be thinking about legacy that's left behind after you're gone because you're not going to be there forever. And if you've invested in the lives of others, it's amazing. Soto, we've got a whole slew of residents. We're part of PACs. We're a, uh, very engaged with PACs. Right now, I think we've got, what, 12, 13 residents that are getting their residency in orthopedics and general surgery. We're looking at starting a family medicine residency. Uh, and that's, again, we're building this building, and the top two floors is going to be entirely classrooms for training because uh, we're really serious about investing in medical professionals that will go not only throughout Ethiopia but throughout the Horn of Africa. we got a guy right now that's headed down to the DRC when he's done with his residency. But, again, it's, the opportunities are endless, and to train up medical workers is amazing. Well, I think there, there's a, a practical side of that, too, because the, the passion for training will open more doors and more locations yes. globally, whereas if that's not part of your vision, it, it may be a little bit harder to find the right fit, or, yep. or, or it just will narrow down the number of different fields you can, you can do yep. that. Good. Okay, number eight. What are your agency policies and expectations to promote a healthy work-life balance for <laughs> medical practitioners? Mm. Your temptation as a medical practitioner is going to you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna easily fall into burnout. Let's be honest with you, because the good. work is never done. It's never done. There's always somebody else showing up with something. Yeah. And how do you how do you live a, a life that's got the proper balance? And who's holding you accountable for that? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you you met with a well, in fact, I met with her too. This yeah, doctor Chris, in Christy. Uh, Chicago. Yeah, Christy was from Chicago. She went overseas for two years, um, and took a great placement with a hospital. But she was a single female, young doctor, no kids, uh, no husband. And it just by default, she ended up working 80-something hours a week. And she came off the field burnt out and done. She couldn't do it. Um, that's not her fault yeah, <laughs> at no. all. Somebody but should I, have been looking in saying, somebody hey, should have been looking in. Exactly. And I, and I think organizationally, um, I like to see that as the organization's responsibility to place boundaries around it. Because, you know, all of us as followers of Jesus, but so much more for you guys as, as healthcare practitioners, you, you have a heart of compassion. You want to be pouring yourself into other lives. You have to have a strong voice around you that's going to set those boundaries and say, stop. Because <laughs> at some point, it's gonna, you're not going to want to hear the word stop, but you're going to need to hear the yeah, word stop. Yeah, you're going to need it. You need permission to stop because you feel this sense of responsibility. Yeah. Okay, number nine, to what extent is your agency or its partners provide logistical support for healthcare ministries? There is a ton of logistical stuff. Yeah. Uh, man, I think we are, we're shipping over a couple containers every year, 40-foot containers, loaded up with medical supplies. Uh, we need somebody handling all the logistics stuff. We've got a fixer in Addis who covers all the stuff on that <laughs> side. And, uh, but and then there's all the, the fundraising side. There's, I mean, there's just all kinds of logistical stuff. Visas, licensure. Licensure is a huge one. Mm-hmm. And you just got to know, is the agency in this with me, or am I going to be on my own trying to figure this out? Mm-hmm. All right? And yeah, it's not bad. You, you just got to know, you know, <laughs> yeah. what you're stepping into. I remember meeting with another doctor in Chicago, and the argument there was, I, I have to be a part of a team that does that stuff because I, I can't. Mm. 
And therefore, she's probably not a good candidate for a pioneering context. Yeah. And, you know, some medical hospitals are, you know, one or two doctors. That's a pioneering context. You've got to think about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, number 10. This is the last one. You guys have had it. <laughs> Does your agency have expectations for continuing education, and how is that funded? Yeah. You want to say anything about that? No, I mean, I, I think... I think making sure that your organization has accommodations for it, meaning we'll give you the time to prioritize it. Because you, you need to keep your your credentialing up, all of that sort of stuff. But if you're partnered with a generalist agency that doesn't do a ton of medical work, that's kind of a foreign concept to them. They don't, they don't know that. So you're going to have to kind of own that yourself and, and pay attention to that. Uh, but I will say with that education funding piece, at least most of the organizations I've connected to, you know, that the, the cost of that will probably be on, on you. Um, you'll have maybe two different buckets that you raise support for. One would be your personal support. The other would be what you call your ministry account. And that's where you would fund things like, you know, traveling to CMDA conferences for continuing education credits or something like that. Uh, but I think it's important to ask that question and make sure that the agency is going to prioritize that yeah, for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, here's the bottom line, guys. We've given you a ton of information. We've been in the trenches working with people for a long time, trying to help them find the right missionary agency, and we've figured out that these are the critical questions that you got to ask. Bottom line, though, is this is a spiritual discernment journey. Absolutely. And you've got to seek the heart of God. And sometimes you're going to get a, you're going to go through this list and say, well, I got a yeah, it's an 80% or 65%. Right. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have to make some judgments. And no agency is going to be the perfect agency, mm-hmm. all right? Because everybody's going to have some area where they're not exceptional. All right, it's just the reality of, of who we are. Mm-hmm. And bottom line is, you need to you need to hold true to this Psalm 37:23. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And, uh, and, and and believe that and trust that. And uh, Jay, you had I know when you counsel or coach, yeah. you, you 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 people come to you and they say, Oh, JJ, I need clarity. Like, what do you say? <laughs> well, I, I I get an interesting response for people when I when I pray for them because before I do, I I just kind of kill that idea <laughs> right right up front. Um, I used to pray for clarity. I don't anymore. I don't think God gives it. I'll just be real. Um, I, I think we have for far too long envisioned uh, that verse about, you know, God's word is a light into my path. We've envisioned that as a floodlight. And it's not a floodlight. It's a lantern, which means the next step is illuminated, not the entire journey. Don't make the mistake of saying, God, give me clarity on this whole path, and then I'll take a step. That's not how this works. You'll never take a step. <laughs> so it's like, that, it's like that guy that went to Mother Teresa. Yeah. He was in his 40s. He went to Mother Teresa, and, and, he, and she said, what, what can I pray for you? And he, he said, pray that I have clarity. Yeah. And Mother Teresa said, I will not pray that you have clarity, because clarity is the last idol you cling to. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And clarity is at the expense of trust. Absolutely. And what does God want from your life more than anything else? Mm. Right? How do you please God? It's by faith. Mm-hmm. It's trust. That's what pleases him. And if you're hanging around waiting until you have 100% clarity, you're never going to go anywhere. All you can do is take the next step and trust God that he's going to guide your steps because the steps of good man are ordered by the Lord. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, I don't know what time it is. We've got about five more minutes. Five minutes for questions? Yep. Yeah. I would say that most of them are, not all of them. I asked that because of student loan debt and the student loan forgiveness program. I think it was 2021 they started accepting like, missionary workers in the church to be included in that as a student debt relief. Too, so. mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. to consider. I, I think the vast majority... I mean, churches are by default 501c3s, mm-hmm. just by or nonprofits by virtue of being a church. Yep. But mission agencies, most mission agencies are 501c3s. Um, I, I would be hard pressed to think of an example of one that's not. Well, I'm just thinking about uh, in the Middle East, a couple okay. of yeah, for profit. That's true. That's true. Yeah, these are for profit hospitals that 
are founded by Christian workers mm-hmm. where you can't be in a non-profit. Yeah, that's true. So there are those. Mm-hmm. Now, some of those is so some of those are really cool because some of them you don't, you don't have to raise support. You, yeah, just you, go there, really you get, get paid, paid a great paid salary. Well. The downside is, so what would you do about that? Somebody in the room says, I don't want to raise support. I don't feel called to do that. Tell me where I can go where I don't have to pay or don't have to raise anything. Uh, how does that sit with you mm. as a coach? <laughs> That's a great question. I think on one hand, I, I get it and I, I, I resonate with it 100%. It's like, man, let's, let's go after that path of least resistance. And yet I compare that to everything we've been preaching, which is about this is long-term investment. And missions is costly. It's just, it's costly work. We got we to gotta accept that. So I, I would coach you, really spend time praying and say, God, where do you want to send me? And also, how do you want to send me? And invite him into that decision. Because the path of least resistance is not always the best. No, it's it not. It might be, I but mean, it's not Yeah, it might always. be, but it's not always. And the reality is, you're raising support right now. Totally. I'm not, but yeah. I have in the past. Yep. Um, and God uses that support-raising process in powerful ways to Absolutely. shape you into, into Christ-likeness. Well, I think he uses it to shape you into Christ-likeness, but he also uses it as a catalyst in the lives of others. Yes. And that's huge. So, so many of the families that I've coached to ministry, it's like, ah, I just got to get my support so I can go do ministry. You're totally missing it. The journey of raising support is a powerful ministry because you're a catalyst in so many lives around you. You are naturally a challenger. In the best case scenario, you meet with someone who you're hoping to support you, and that person says, wow, maybe I should think about missions myself. God uses you. God uses your platform, your influence through that journey. Don't shortchange it. I knew a guy that was raising his support to go to China. Yeah. He wound up, while he was raising support, recruiting 25 that's, other people. I mean, come on. That's so cool. That's nuts. That's so okay, cool. any other questions? <laughs> yeah. What if you're just in utter confusion? So, that's a great question. In confusion about going? Yeah. Yeah, and just how to begin. Yes, you do. just so many voices in your head. Everything looks like as if it's, it's in the right path. Right. But then you're not, you don't know if you're actually hearing from the Lord. Yes. Yeah. It is just so quiet on you. Yes. And uh, you're not so confused. You are asking a very good question. Yeah. And it comes down to some people, some people say, I have a distinct call from God and I know it. Mm-hmm. God confirmed it through X, Y, and Z. And other people, it's like, I don't know if I was called or not. I just started putting one foot in front of the next, and here I am. <laughs> but, but see, here's the thing. In, in, in American Christendom, we've celebrated the first thing. I know. We made an idol out of it. And the second one, we've almost made second-class citizens. Okay? So we kind of have this weird dynamic where if you can't articulate a specific sense of calling, you somehow are like a Maybe somehow less calling. than. You're somehow less than. And I want to tell you guys, some of my favorite missionary heroes at the tail end of a 50-year career, they would tell me, I have no idea if I'm called or not. I just said, God, what's the next step? That is sacred. That's sacred space. So if you're in that place and you're wrestling because you don't feel like you have a detailed sense of calling, don't shortchange yourself. No. That's sacred. God's going to use that willingness as you just take the next step. So what I would do to answer your question, and, and forgive me if this is not uh, the, the perfect answer, but I would start praying for closed doors. All right? Because so often when we're praying, we say, God, give me an open door. Give me an open door. And we're just kind of creating this dynamic where I'm not going to move unless you do something profound. Flip that script and say, God, I am going to move. I'm going to start taking steps. Close the doors you don't want me to walk through. 
Start praying for closed doors. That's a game-changing insight. Yeah, that's... Because that means you have a predisposition for action. Yep. We know that God wants each and every one of us to use our skills, our capacities, our talents, and our treasures for his purposes. So you know you have that calling. Lean into that. Start taking action, and then ask God to close doors as you're going along. Yep. That's, that's what key. I would do. So I think there's another question over here, right? Is there one over here? No. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah, got one there and one here. Mm. Yeah. I can tell you honestly, they're all over the map. Yep. And there are still, I mean, well, still, that sounds pejorative, and I don't mean that. But there are groups that's, that hold the view if you speak in tongues, mm-hmm. this is not the agency for you. Yep. And you have other groups that, unless you speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Yep. And everything between. Um, and we just love the breadth in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we're not we, we, the, 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 the polls usually truth isn't on a poll mm. yeah. where do you say to look into the organizations themselves um, to find their leading on that because I know you said a lot of them and I've experienced yeah. this myself in their statement of faith might not be clear no. right. what their beliefs are on certain things how right. do you say to go about dating that so at the risk of directly promoting our organization. I'm going to do it because we started our organization to be a guide. So every organization that we recruit for, they've trained us on their intake process, their values, their details, their theological and their positions. And their unwritten values. And their unwritten values. That's part of the reconnaissance work we've done with every agency we represent. So I think having a guide, whether it's us with Compel Global, whether it's you know your pastor, somebody else who's an outsider who knows about the agency, and kind of going to them and say, hey, what you know, where where is this agency on this particular issue? But I also think, just I mean, just just go for it and ask that direct question. Yeah, hey, I speak direct. in tongues. Can I work with your organization or not? Hey, I don't believe the gifts are for today. Can I work with your organization or not? If they can't give you a direct question for that, they should be able to. <laughs> yeah, any, any good mobilization director will be able to give you an answer on that. But it is an important question to ask because, honestly, we've known guys that have gone so far in the application process and spent hours and hours filling out forms right. only to be vetoed. Yeah. And that's – we just want to – we don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. With all the agencies that Compel works with, we do a two-day deep deep dive into every agency. We meet with their leaders, their key leaders, their – and we, we bounce more questions off of them. Sometimes they look at us like, what are you doing? We want to know their guts. Yeah, Every good. detail about how they, where they stand, what they think, how they feel, how they're, what their teams look like, all that stuff. Because we want to make sure that we're sending people that are a good match. Do you have a question? Can I be more direct? Can I call Please. Please. in charge yeah. your service? Oh, great question. So... Um, we don't charge you all a dime. That, that's, not, that's not the way our model is. We, we exist to coach you guys and get you to the right fit. So we are a 501c3. We directly raise uh, supporters who believe in the vision of Compel Global. So we are a support-based mission. Then at the same time, um, when we find somebody, we coach them all the way through a process. We match them to an agency. If the agency actually chooses to accept and appoint uh, workers, then we get compensated uh, by the agency. agency. If they don't, we don't. So it represents huge savings for an agency. Absolutely no charge to you guys as candidates. It's literally just about finding the best fit. Um, And it allows us to serve churches, which really is our goal. So churches have candidates all the time. They call us and ask for our advice and, yeah, to steer their people. Great question. Uh, we have uh, we are scaling up, but I am I am I am only I, my job is I'm the chief storyteller for Compel. Yeah. JJ is the president, and I represent St. Luke's Healthcare as my main thing. Mm-hmm. So I'm compromised in that sense. Yep. But we also have a team of volunteers that mm-hmm. are um, extraordinary. And a bunch of pastors who do this bivocationally. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, guys, one more. Same for long term 
Yes. Uh, it depends on what you mean by short term. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So short term, I mean, the process is going to be substantially less, right? A lot of these questions may not apply to someone who wants to do a three-week yeah. trip. Or you know, uh, I think a good fit is still important, but you have far more wiggle room if you're if you're going really, really short term yeah. uh, to try different things. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, awesome. can we pray over you guys? Yeah. Let's everybody stand up. Lord, we are so thankful that you have created all of us as a one-of-a-kind, unique uh, piece of artwork. You created us in Christ Jesus unto good works, which you ordained beforehand that we should do. And every one of us has works that you ordained beforehand that we should do. Perhaps more than one work, but works that have been preordained for us. And in that regard, Lord, we are all called whether we perceive a strong sense of calling or whether we're just following along with whatever you put in our path. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us a passion and a deep desire to be your servants and to serve you faithfully. Lord, thank you for everyone in this room as they wrestle with this, all this content thrown at them in this session. But, Lord, we pray that you would direct their paths. Um, and, Lord, we thank you that you promised that you would do that. Because the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. We thank you. Give us trust. We pray for that. We do not pray for clarity. We pray for trust. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. Don't forget those uh, those forums. Those books you fill out, too.